and welcome back to another episode of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your conspiracy skeptic, Carl Mamer, and with me is my guest, uh, Tom Thumb. Is that your real name, Tom, or is that just your pen name? Um, I actually got the name after I hitchhiked from England to India at the age of 20, and I wrote a book about it, and um, I needed a pen name. So Tom Thumb, hitchhiking, you know. Cool. Okay. All right. Yeah. So let's just let's let's use your name, Tom Thumb. Okay. If that's okay, that's your if that's your uh, yeah, that's that your, works. Your pet name, and that's also kind of your um, what can I say? Your uh, almost like your trade name, because like, you you uh, you publish you kind of publish this. It's called Road Road Junkie. Yeah, that was something I worked on from about two thousand four until two thousand and ten, back when the internet was so much more fresh and naive and. You could make a website and people would pay attention to it, you know, oh, rather yeah. than TikTok. being lost in a deluge of everything out there today. Cool, yeah, yeah, but yeah, you're uh, you're kind of a bit of a you, you traveler. You you travel around and you kind of live. I mean, not live off the land, but you kind of you know you 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 get what seems like you get work where you are, and then you move on to greener pastures. Does that kind of describe your, like the road junkie, uh, aesthete in your, your own sort of philosophy? I mean, it's a pathology to be honest. Um, <laughs> I mean, I started traveling at 18 years old and, um, I'm actually now living my 11th month in one apartment, which is a record for me in my adult life. Wow. Okay. Um, so I've just been constantly on the move these last 25 years and, um, always looking for a better place somewhere there must be paradise and of course you get there and you find that you bring everything with you you know all your own hang-ups and stuff so uh yeah i uh, know that 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 probably kind of brings us to i mean hmm why would he be in one place for i don't know say the past year what's gone on for the past year covid right i imagine covid has kind of kept you in one place and being a father um I have a four-year-old girl now, and so oh, I move more okay. slowly than I used to. Let's oh, say. very, very nice. Okay, right, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So you, you were, are uh, do this road junkie, but you kind of contacted me because your COVID project. Uh, I guess this is your COVID project, right? Uh, uh, you you wrote a book called Science for for Hippies, subtitle: An Alternative Guide to How We Know Anything at All. Did I get that right? You did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sent it to me, and uh, it is. Uh, it's it's really it's really good. Um it is uh obviously it's in a book about, you know, um you know, sort of science, you know, from you know, a skeptical point of view. You got a you know, great chapter on conspiracy theories, uh, you know, how we know what we know, Dunning Kruger, all that that kind of kind of stuff. It's a really, really good book. I can say it's I mean it is it's it written at a really great level. Like it I mean science for hippies, but you can almost like like science for and and I don't mean this as an insult. I mean, this is a compliment. It's, it's, you know, written at a level where like, you know, like a, you know, a young inquisitive, you know, 10 year old, 12 year old could just really devour this kind of book. What, what, what were you, what were your kind of, what was sort of your target market for, for this book? Well, that's pretty much who I had in mind, I think, because um, to be honest, the average um, rational mind development of a hippie or a new age person is a 10 year old. Um, okay. And I don't mean that with uh, any um, pejorative way. 
it's simply that a lot of people didn't really have much interest in studying stuff like cognitive biases. They were much more interested in picking up a drum or a guitar or learning how to dance or how to enjoy nature, looking at the universe and asking the big questions without necessarily putting the work in to actually understand how their own brain works and also to really understand what it is they can know about the world through intuition and their gut feelings and what you really need to learn through stats and data and analysis. Um, And so that's the distinction is often not made. And so in this book, I was trying to show there really are these two kinds of knowledge, the objective sphere and subjective and the twain don't meet that often. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is, I mean, obviously, you know, you you have a child, right? So you kind of understand a bit about, you know what, at some level, this love I feel, this not just this love, but this 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 insane level of love, right? You know, for your child, that could be chemicals talking, but you know what, I want to think of something more than that. Would that be kind of a fair description of where some maybe science ends and you just have to go, you know what? I'm 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 just going with this. Yeah, of course it can get um quite reductionist at a certain point. Yeah. Um and um you know there's always going to be the, the kind of fact value gap, this chasm. Um facts aren't going to explain who we are. They're only models anyway, and as we know all models are wrong um if useful. Um so at a certain sense um objective analytical knowledge is really useful for will this bridge support a truck will this plane get off the ground is this the right vaccination policy to immunize our population but it doesn't help you answer how do i dance in a way that feels good it doesn't ask you the question of how to write a great song how to become a better lover an algorithm is going to help you do that (laughs) yeah but I, I call my uh, my my check digit is uh, I, I call it a, a dark beer argument. You're you're in, you're in Prague right now, if that's correct. I am. So I yeah, am. not not quite the dark beer capital. They they kind of like a more of a a lighter beer in in Czechoslovakia. Or... I'm enjoying one right now. To be honest, it's eleven o'clock here. So all right, yeah, as beer o'clock. Yeah. So so I call it the uh, a, a dark beer argument. You know, it, it it's it's. No amount of sort of fact and logic and evidence will ever convince a person who doesn't like dark beer to like dark beer, right? They're never going to go, by God, I've been wrong all this time to just not like this really, you know, this Guinness, this dark beer. Now I'm going to like it, right? You you have to sort of recognize, you know, there's something, there are just things that are matters of opinion and taste, and you can't bring the tools of you know science and skepticism to that very well and you have to sort of go to wait am i obviously something like a dark beer that's a very obvious argument but there are some arguments where they're they're very uh you know they're 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 a little bit harder to tease out at the at the root of this is it just a matter of opinion like i'm gonna vote for this person i don't care you know and there's a whole load of stuff there right like socialization plays a huge part Why would so many Republicans not believe that climate change is a reality? I mean, have they all looked at the data and come to their own conclusions about it after doing an independent analysis? Or do they just believe the same thing that their neighbors and families and loved ones think? 
Um, and it's the same with the hippies that I know who would, let's say, think that GM food is dangerous or right. that vaccines are a scam, not because they've read the science or really thought it through themselves, but everyone around them thinks the same thing. So it kind of must be right, right? Right, right. Um, but of course, you cannot change somebody's mind um, with facts. Yeah. And unfortunately, the approach by the scientific establishment tended until very recently to be, let's just give them more information and then they'll surely change their mind. Yes, yes. In fact, I remember one study, they took a couple of um, anti-vaxxer parents and they effectively strapped them to chairs and explained to them exactly why vaccines do not cause autism, step by step. And finally, they said, now do you understand? And they said, yes. You agree, vaccines don't cause autism. Yeah, okay. Now will you vaccinate your kids? Oh, no. And they pivoted <laughs> to another point, of course. <laughs> yeah. You know, what? one of the hardest things I had to kind of like get used to is like, I mean, I was sort of raised Catholic and I mean, I was lucky. It was a very Canadian, very liberal kind of Catholicism. I always sort of joke, you know, you, you're required to believe in God, but the divinity of Jesus was kind of left up to your own, you know, your own judgment kind of, kind of thing, that sort of level of uh, Catholicism. But, but um, you know, the idea of like, like, you know, where a, a friend had a baby, and then, and then, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, what kind of, you know, I'm an atheist by this point, and you know, she's an atheist, and but then I'm like, oh, you know, when, uh, you know, when are you going to have the baptism, and what, she, what kind of gift should I buy? And then she's like, well, I'm not going to get my baby baptized, and then I'm like, oh, it's going to be unclean, like, like there was this weird feeling, like, like what unbaptized baby is just unclean, like what are you doing, like. I don't know. Yeah. Did, did I mean, have you sort of found that with uh, like your, your daughter? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm assuming you're maybe a non-believer, but maybe you are a believer. And I'm a total atheist. Yeah, of course. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, what's, you know, when you're sort of talking to your, I mean, a, a, a God answer is, especially when, when you have to, when your child first confronts the topic of death, you know, like they've lost a grandparent or something, you know, there's that, it's just so easy to say, oh, you know, grandpa's up in heaven smiling down at you, and it's, you, you have no answer. Have, have, you, have you found this yet? I mean, that would be a great answer, wouldn't it, if it was true? Yeah. Well, what yeah. a comforting answer that would be, which, yeah. of course, explains why it's been so popular. Um, one of the really big challenges when you have a small child, I found, is... Um, you can only describe things using the vocabulary that they understand, the concepts that make sense to them. Um, so when they ask some very hard questions, like what does it mean when someone dies? If you tell them they're going to die one day, that means tonight for them, yes. tomorrow, because there is no 50 years from now when you're three or four years old. So um you have to kind of bend the truth a little bit, which interestingly is what most popular science writers do when they write these books for the public. And they say, think of the universe like it was a balloon and it's expanding. And they use these images, which are essentially fraudulent, but sort of get the point across. <laughs> so, and the editors allow it because you can't just tell the public, look, it's a bunch of equations that yeah. kind of seem to work. 
Yes, you know, exactly. it doesn't sell books. Um, who feels satisfied with that? So yeah. you have to kind of tell a little white lie to sort of get your meaning across. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my daughter telling her about like, you know, oh yeah, like hundreds of millions of years from now, you know, that the sun is going to expand into a red giant and swallow the earth. And she just <laughs> starts crying. Like, she just, I'm like, oh, but yeah, but trying to explain to a kid a hundred million years, that's not a, a, you know, a, a number a six-year-old can understand. She just thinks like, everything I know and love is going to be swallowed up by the sun. And oh my God, you know? So there's no big bad wolf, just a red dwarf yeah. coming for her. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Now, now, so a little bit of background information. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, I, I, I don't think you're from Boston. Where, where, where do, where do you ultimately hail from? Yeah, I grew up in Brighton, in England. Okay. Um, and I say hit the road in about 1995, and right, okay. I've hardly been back there since then. Right. And okay. um, I was living in India some years, especially um, yeah. in, in the first part of my travels. And and I was an out-and-out um, hippie myself in terms of, you know, I, uh, I was living without money. I was hitchhiking everywhere, um, taking lots of drugs, um, frying my mind with LSD and the dance parties and right. Goa. And, you know, I would be into Sufi poetry and meditation. And I really thought I was on a kind of a spiritual path for many yeah. years. Right. Um, and what kind of pushed me towards science in the end was <laughs> I was on the way to a hippie gathering in Israel in the desert called a rainbow gathering, um, a few hundred people for one month in nature. And I was on a bus and I found myself sat next to this pretty Israeli girl and I started talking <laughs> to her and I found out she was a medical student. Okay. And I have an open mind. I'm like, oh, cool. So we start talking. And at some point in the conversation, I mentioned how so many people had, in fact, cured themselves of cancer. Mm. And she said, no, they haven't. <laughs> and I thought, wow, she's closed-minded. Right, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it kind of stayed in my head. And the next time I was online, I thought, yeah, I better look up some of these names of these people who have done it. And then couldn't really find any. <laughs> yes, yes. And the only places that were claiming that they had, you know, had seven different kinds of font on their webpage and were clearly not <laughs> authoritative, you know. And I began to realize I might be wrong about more things too. So maybe I should check this out. And um, mm. swiftly realized I didn't know very much about anything at all, really. Oh, that's um, great. Well, yeah. Apart from I, I, how to write a good song, uh, how to dance around a fire. I was very good at that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was going to say, like Joe, I mean, Joe Rogan has a lot of problems. I'm going to put that out there right now. Okay. <laughs> Joe, Joe, Joe Rogan sometimes is not the best person to, to listen to or to be a opinion leader on, on a lot, but I did appreciate that. You know, he, Joe Rogan used to be this very kind of like woo conspiracy talking. And then he was saying that he did, then he kind of did a show about like, you know, Joe Rogan, a TV show about, you know, Joe Rogan, uh, you know, conspiracy show or something like that and then when he starts talking to these people like you know bigfoot people and conspiracy people and ufo believers he's like jesus these guys got nothing like they're just they're just they just have nothing and when i talk to the scientist guys over here they got all the stuff you know and he's yeah and he, i mean he's i would not call joe rogan a skeptic or a you know but but it, it, it was he he did kind of it moved the needle somewhat for 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 him on that but 
And he's an opportunist, um, of course. Yeah. So he will interview whoever gets the most attention for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But he's not stupid. And eventually you begin to realize, hang on, these guys sound like they're making sense. And these guys are issuing death threats the moment that you show they're wrong. Yes, I mean, yeah, um, exactly. So, I mean, when, when you try to now kind of go back to, you know, let's say your, 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 your hippie community and like, well, well, I mean, one, you know, do you, are, are, I imagine you don't go up to people and go, you know, vaccines work for these reasons. Like what, how does this sort of affected your relationship with, with your, 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 your community? Well, it's ironic, actually, because I make a living out of organizing events that, let's say, spiritually inclined people might want to go to a little festival here in the Czech Republic. And I also organize meditation retreats in the Sahara Desert in Morocco. And so people assume it's going to be something purely hippie. And then they see this ultra skeptical, rational guy organizing it um, deflates their bubble a little bit, I think. Um, but what I try to do is never tell someone they're wrong or tell someone that they're stupid for thinking they think what they do. Um, apparently, I haven't got any data to support this, but telling someone they're stupid is not the best way to start your, your case. Um, so when I wrote Science for Hippies, I wanted just to approach it with how do we know anything at all in the hope that by learning how do we know anything and how do we think through things, that people might come to look at what they previously believed and see some of the holes in it. This happened to one guy. Um, I forget his name. He gave a TED talk. He was an uh, anti-GM foods campaigner. <laughs> he coined the term Frankenfood. Oh, he's the dude. Way back when. Okay. And then he was in an argument about climate change with some climate change deniers. And he wanted to research the science more so he could argue his case. And in doing so, he began to realize what an idiot he'd been about GM for so long. Right, right. Um, yeah. And he had, you know, at least the uh, um, humility to admit it and right, yeah. say so in a talk. Yeah, that's why I find that, like, um, so many, I think one of the terms crank, crank magnetism, where, you know, you just sort of gravitate towards to all sorts of different kind of crank ideas. And, and, it, you know, you, you kind of, you can go one of two ways, right? Like, like what you sort of went and you're like, oh, geez, you know, the, the, the sort of the reasoning I use for this, you know, is the same as the reasoning this person who I know is clearly, clearly wrong is using for that. So maybe I'm wrong over here. You can kind of go that way or you could go, oh, well, they must be right too, right? You know, and then that guy over there who's talking about flat earth, well, he has to be right too, because, you know, because I can't apply, you know, skepticism to him and then not apply it to my own set of beliefs. And then you just then enter this ever widening landscape of, of, of crankery because you, you can't, you have to sort of, you sort of realize what they're founding their ideas on is exactly the same thing I'm, I'm using. If you have no inherent sense of what is reasonable and plausible right. in the world, then you're a lost case, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so when I was writing Science for Hippies, I didn't want to um, jump straight in and say, well, of course, vaccines are good. Mm -hmm. Because I know that many people reading the book are going to hesitate about vaccinating yeah. their kids. Um, so, but I had to point at someone 
to illustrate the ideas from time to time. So the flat earthers got it in several chapters because if you think the world is flat, there's nothing I can say to you really. Yeah. Like there's just no way, there's no way back from that unless you realize it or it takes a more talented writer than me. Um, <laughs> but at least most of the people I know who are, let's say anti GM or anti 5G, um, most of them understand that the world is a globe. And <laughs> so by pointing at the flat earth people and showing how they construct their arguments with big holes in them, the fallacies that they have, I'm hoping it might shine a light. People can go, huh, but I say the same thing when I'm talking about 5G towers or yeah. Wi-Fi or whatever. I, I don't want to reveal too much of your book, but you, you do have a chapter. Yeah. Why conspiracy theories are mostly wrong, but also a little bit right. And, and yeah, I mean, that, that's true. Did, did, what, tell, tell me more about, about this, this concept of conspiracy theories being mostly wrong, but a little bit, little bit right. Well, it's interesting, right? I mean, I've always been a left-wing um, Chomsky reader from <laughs> um, an early age. And, you know, I'd read something like Manufacturing Consent, talking about how um, uh, viewpoints of the powerful are propagated through mainstream media um, in the form of limited little sound bites in propaganda messages. And Chomsky has a very complex, sophisticated message to deliver. <laughs> and nowadays you hear people saying, yeah, this uh, this coronavirus is all a, uh, is a, is a hoax. You know, you, you can't trust the mainstream media. And I'm like, no, 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 you, you can trust them to say if the <laughs> pandemic is happening. We just say, so, right, <laughs> we didn't right. mean like, don't listen to them at all. Like, <laughs> right, right, yes, yeah. So a lot of the complex ideas get simplified quite a bit. Um, but of course, there is a sense that when you see how power and money have been amassed in the hands of very few people in this world, and how they do have disproportionate amounts of influence and power at their hands. <laughs> Should Bill Gates really have the amount of influence he does in deciding public health policy in Africa, in Asia? Should he really be a voice at the table in uh, these matters? Probably not in an ideal world. Does that mean that his secret plan is to plant microchips under our skin? And <laughs> unlikely. <laughs> right, right, yes. But you can understand where it came from. Yeah, um, yeah. Even uh, there was one writer um, I quoted in the book. I forget his name now. And uh, you know David Icke and the reptile yeah. thing, yeah, and yeah. where he says the rich and powerful have been infiltrated by reptile beings from another dimension if i'm not doing a disservice to his ideas um but when you look at the heartlessness this writer said i paraphrase if you look at the heartlessness with which the powerful and the mega wealthy live their lives while so many millions are starving to death for want of clean water there is something a little bit reptilian about that <laughs> like you can imagine it you know yeah. Well, what did uh, uh, John Ronson years and years, probably decades ago now, had that really great uh, 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 sort of documentary about right David Icke coming to Vancouver and and how you know how you know he was sort of like like the the pushback. There was a lot of pushback, but you know people were able to sort of like ignore the reptile stuff and just and sort of concentrate on like you know his you know you know his his 
sort of its complaints about yeah concentrations of power and globalization and and stuff like that and that that was really speaking to them and you know they could kind of like go okay well yeah he, he's he's kind of just maybe this reptile thing is a metaphor and maybe it's not about the jews and kind of thing but <laughs> but you know yeah it was an interesting kind of sort of backfire where uh where where the i think it was like the sort of the anti-defamation league was you know i mean but yeah i mean a lot of his stuff is like that's yeah, protocols of elders of zion but you know not Jews, but you know, reptiles. But but you know, but yeah, like maybe he just he just really believes reptiles. There's something too about like where like you know like you know as we're sort of seeing now like like you know all of these uh, you know these people these were being sexually abused by you know the British elite and politicians and media and and you know the, the these people for decades were trying to tell people about this and no one was listening to them because they're like well that guy is like just he's like a children's broadcaster what are you talking he wouldn't you know and then and some of them were going to david ike you know like he was the only one that was sort of listening to them and and then yeah so within that core of like yeah that the that some people in the elite are actually abusing children you know you know he kind of then layered on that whole and maybe the reptiles and they're eating them too you know I mean, this is it. I mean, child abuse is endemic everywhere in every strata of society. Um, and it's no surprise that there are rich and wealthy people who do it too. Why wouldn't they if everyone else does? Um, I mean, uh, of course, you have the whole QAnon, pedophile hunting, conspiracy theorist population online as well, convinced they're serving some noble, mighty cause. Um, but at a certain point, there's just people looking for attention, um, <laughs> virtue signaling. Um, and then there's just people who are, as, as in the case of David Icke, frankly, quite mad. Yeah. I mean, we know him in England as uh, a goalkeeper, a sports presenter, who one day pretty much announced that he was the son of God on a chat show. Right, um, right. So it was always something of a joke to English people, which is why he's much more popular abroad. Um, right. Although in yes, the case yes. of Ike, for example, um, the moment that he got banned from YouTube last year, I think it was, um, perhaps YouTube and Facebook, um, I saw several people then taking an interest. Right. Oh, well, right. if he's getting banned, he must be saying something that the authorities don't want you to know. Exactly. Rather than just damaging harmful misinformation in the middle of a world pandemic. But if you're somebody who no one listens to, if you're somebody who feels that you're slighted, you're underrepresented, then these rebels hold mm-hmm. a certain appeal. And you say, well, at least they're fighting our fight, sort of, somehow. And I'll just read the bits that make sense to me and leave the rest of it. Right. Ex- 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 exactly. Yeah. The, um, let's say, the, um, your, 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 your book, and this was like your, your COVID project. Like, what, what was sort of the, the, uh, when did you actually start writing this? I started writing in my head about 15 years ago, I think. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I was at a lot of, I was living a very hippie way of life for a long time, even as a more increasingly rational person. I would go to these rainbow gatherings, which were one month in nature with no phones, no alcohol, and no leaders. Everybody co organizes the event. Okay. Um, and um, I would be there with people who would, deny the existence of bacteria right right and 
it's a really interesting conversation to have when you're talking to someone like that. And they say, no, you only get ill when you, um, you have negative energy and negative thoughts. Right. And it's like, well, yes, your immune system probably is stronger when you're calm and when you're, <laughs> but, and it was really interesting for me to think, how could I explain this in terms that they might understand? So, for example, there would be people who would not wash their hands with soap before going into the kitchen to cut the food. <laughs> and I'd say, guys, you've been to the toilet recently. I saw you there. You know, like, wash your hands with soap. And they'd say, oh, I've never got ill before. I'm like, yeah, that's possible. But, and I would say, okay, if you were crossing a quiet country road, would you do it with your eyes closed, even though cars don't come very often? And they'd be like, oh, well, if you did that every day of your life, sooner or later you'd get hit, wouldn't you? And they'd be like, <laughs> well, okay, but it might take many years because there aren't many cars passing. But And so I try and find some simple right, right. way of, that uh, would carry the meaning across. So that's how I started writing the book. Okay. And then last year, my events that I organized were canceled because of COVID. Yeah, yeah. And then I had time on my hands and suddenly I thought, okay. And, of course... Everyone was online last year. Right, yes. And then you saw this immense amount of misinformation and conspiratorial thinking and endless Facebook debates. And um, I wanted to join the conversation without yelling on one side in caps lock letters, you idiots, but instead find a more constructive way right, to right, turn yeah. the conversation around. Yeah. Of course, it's very interesting when you're watching these debates of people who say, um, yeah, science is, you know, it's all a phony, it's all a hoax, they're all in the pay of big corporations. And they're using at least 15 different kinds of science to type <laughs> their opinion furiously on their keyboard or phone. You know? Yeah, I know. I always say it's like, you know, if, if the scientific method was so broken, you you couldn't have a, a, a cell phone, right? I mean, the, the amount of science that the, ba- the amount of basic science that had to go into that phone, you know, to get to a phone is, is, is incredible. And if, if science was so broken, you know, that people just can, you know, publish things because, you know, they're, they're, it's a lie, but they're part of the club. And, you know, like, like we, we wouldn't have this. Like, then, then, you, then you have to kind of, you know, they have to kind of then move the needle. Like, well, yeah, yeah, okay. You know all the science that led to this phone. Well, you know that's that's the real stuff. But you know the stuff over here about you know vaccines or climate change or you know you know five G. No, that that's that's where it's really corrupt. You know, like, like they they kind of got to compartmentalize that a bit. Yeah, you can't have your cake and eat it too. So yeah. When someone says to me, "Really, oh, I want to vaccinate my kids, so I won't get the COVID vaccine," I'm like, "Great, um, give me your phone." And here are two halves of coconuts with a bit of string between them. Yeah. <laughs> and um, over here is a magic carpet. That'll take you on holiday next year. And that's fine. Wow. Um, that's what you want to say, but this, of course, doesn't work. If you belittle somebody, it's uh, you, you've lost all uh, your higher ground straight away. Um, but instead, I mean, I read one great article on how to change people's minds and it basically said, um, first, be sure that you have a right to and that you know mm-hmm. what you're talking about. But, uh, and probably it's a lost cause. But if you want to try, try to get people thinking about the great unread library, as in all the stuff they haven't read mm-hmm. or thought about or considered yet, and invite a curiosity 
because essentially you cannot change somebody else's mind. <laughs> Only each person can change their own mind. Just like I did, for example, right. when I thought people could cure themselves of cancer through meditation. And then I had to admit I was wrong. But had I, when I was told I was wrong, I didn't believe it. <laughs> um, I had to do it by myself. We're proud, vain creatures, right? Right. Where your what? What was the um, your book? What was like the hardest chapter to write in your book? Um, pretty much every chapter. I mean, I've okay. written five or six books now. Okay. Um, and they were all really a breeze to write in comparison to this one because I couldn't write anything that was wrong. Right. Okay. Um, oh. And so it quite frequently happened that I had to read at least an hour for every page that I wrote. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just to nail something down. And there was a lot of stuff that I found as I wrote the book that I was wrong about. Right. Okay. Um, things I was quite confidently been telling people for years around the fire or at dinner parties. And I found out I was talking out of my ass. <laughs> Um, and I was like, oh, <laughs> when you actually do the research into it, I don't mean in this, um, do your own research, come to your own right, conclusions, right, yeah. watch a video on YouTube, not this angle, but actually read the people who know what they're talking about. And then I realized that, you know, I, just as you go along in life, you pick up a lot of uh, misconceptions and myths that uh, you took on great authority from somebody who was influential Um or who mattered in your eyes, and then ah, the truth may not be that. So I had to do a lot of research and a lot of reading, and I was terrified of making a fool of myself because right, right. I haven't even been to university. Um, I don't have any science education. So there's nothing original in the book. There's no insights that anybody else couldn't give you. Right. It's just packaged in a different kind of storytelling, essentially. Yeah, no, like, uh, hopefully yeah, like, it's readable like, and funny or whatever, but um, it's not that I know anything that um, anybody else could know. Yeah, no, yeah, like I say, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, it's like, uh, it, it's, it's just a really great primer. And like I say, it's not written, yeah, it's not, it's not unapproachable, you know, it's just, it, it, it's a very kind of thing. Like I, I, my, my friend, my friend in the UK, Haley, Haley Stevens, you know, she was sort of asking me, hey, Carl, do you know any kind of like, you know, for like, you know, kind of her teenage coworker who's seems to be going down this conspiracy path? And she's <laughs> like, do you know any books for him? And that's what, and then I emailed you, I'm like, this, can I just, can I send this PDF to my friend Haley and she can give it to her teenage coworker friend? Cause I thought this is just, would be kind of a really good, good book book for that. And this book, are, are you trying to sell this book? Or is this, this just uh, like a, I am and I'm not, I okay. mean, um, it was a year of work. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, it's nice to be compensated for your work, yeah, especially yeah. when it was so hard. So the book is available on Amazon in, in most countries. Okay. Uh, but if anybody hasn't got the money to read the book, I'll gladly send them the PDF and feel free to do so too. Oh, okay. um, in a certain sense, I would like the book to get out there. Um, so I don't know if it's public service, if you're also trying to make money out of it, but uh, <laughs> try to claim both of them there. But um, eventually I might just make the book completely free, but uh, okay. it would be nice to get a bit of recompense first. Well, let's see. Um, yeah, the, the main thing I want to get across on the book um, science for hippies is um, that everybody thinks they have a good sense of humor. Everyone <laughs> thinks they have good taste. Everybody basically thinks that they're smart. I mean, <laughs> the worst insult you can tell anybody these days is you're stupid. 
you know. Right, right. Um, yeah. We have a million different formulations for it, kind of jackass, dumb, whatever, idiot, imbecile, everything you can shout at anybody. But um, everybody basically thinks, you know, I might not be book smart, but I'm basically smart. Um, I might not be, you know, um, a professor of physics, but I know what I'm talking about. I've got a hunch that it's like this. My gut tells me that. And what I really wanted to get across to people was, no, you're all a bunch of idiots. We all are. Even the clever people are idiots when they're not talking about the one precise thing that they've studied all of their lives. We're all subject to confirmation bias and the other cognitive biases. And all of us see the world as it is not. It's really hard for anybody who hasn't looked at the numbers to think, oh, if I fold this bit of paper 45 times, how high will it go? Well, it reaches the moon, right? Right. But that's almost impossible to really understand, except that the numbers tell you so. And the one thing that I've learned as I've learned more, which is what the, you know, Dunner Kruging tells us is, um, we really don't know very much about anything. <laughs> Our opinion is not of very much value on almost any subject under the sun. Um, we have the right to an opinion, but it just isn't worth that much. <laughs> and it's really good to start from that place of humility, which for me is really a fundamental of what it is to be a spiritual person, is to be a humble person, right, right. is to recognize how small we are and what a big universe um and this is where we come to the point you really do have to trust the experts and you can do the research to find out what a majority or a consensus of experts think and therefore inform yourself but you're not ever really going to work out something like um inequalities of wealth by yourself or the best public health policy by yourself all you can do is make a guess right yeah yeah, I mean, I sort of found that it's like, um, you know, it's like, you know, my analogy for people are always like, you know, well, like, look, you know, if nine out of 10 mechanics were telling you, look, don't put, you've got like a four cylinder 1976 Honda, you don't, don't put, you know, ultra premium gasoline, because it's not going to do anything, you're just paying for gas, that's not going to have any benefit. Most people go, yeah, okay, I'm not going to pump, you know, you know, $3 a liter gas when I can pump, you know, $2 a liter gas or, or whatever. And then, um, you know, but then it's, it's like with so many people have like, you know, almost like, you know, kind of like these sacred cows. So it's, it's like, like, especially like food, you know, it's like, you know, people can be very, listen to the experts. And then when it comes to like, like, you know, actually, you know, just bowing down on blueberries, thinking you're getting all these antioxidants, it's, you know, the science really sort of says that you can't, you can't kind of supplement your way out of things, you know, that you just um, eat a good, well-balanced diet and people just really kind of freak out at that sort of stuff. People even who are just very skeptical, very rational, sometimes things like, 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 you know, food can be a very personal woo-filled topic for people that they don't want to abandon. Yeah. Food, especially. And if that's one thing that hippies talk about to ad nauseum, <laughs> ad infinitum, it's the endless discussions about the most healthy diet right. they could possibly, right. avoiding all the toxins that are out there. And um, they'll do this without 
doing the actual exercise, you know, which yeah. is you know, <laughs> many fold more value to your health than which foods that you eat or sleeping enough, yeah. um, for example, or, you know, um, not breathing in campfire smoke. How about that? Yeah. That's a good one, let alone tobacco and everything else. But, you know, whoa, 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 put those oats down. Those ones aren't rolled by stone. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, it's something really emotive. I mean, food is given to us by our parents. It yeah. has early emotional survival connections that go deeper than we realize, right? Um, everyone has comfort food that they ate when they were little, regardless of its inherent value. It just means something to us. Yeah, I mean, I used to work for my student radio station at my university, and, um, you know, might be hard to believe, but most people who worked at the radio station were, you know, they're vegetarians and, and not to knock vegetarians, but, you know, at the same time, they did a lot of drugs and drank a lot and smoked a lot. And it was sort of like, you know, like, yeah, but that hot dog at our yeah. early summer radio station barbecue, that's the thing that's going to kill you, you know? <laughs> so I was staying in an apartment in Berlin when I was hitchhiking 15 years ago. And uh, there were a lot of travelers passing through. And one long-haired Swedish guy came into the kitchen and he said, uh, excuse me, uh, I just wanted to say, <laughs> puffing on his cigarette, uh, I just found some toothpaste in the bathroom. It has fluoride inside. Oh. <laughs> and fluoride is like, it's, <laughs> I was like, dude, you got a cigarette between your fingers and you're lecturing yeah. us about fluoride? <laughs> in in your transition, uh, you know, from I don't know what you would call it, from from hippie hippie to rational hippie, what what was the hardest thing to let go of? Um, I guess more surviving death, um, fears of mortality, right. Um, and so even after I became a rational hippie, I still kind of desperately still do really want to believe that panpsychism is true. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, every time I read that it's like a fringe theory that's getting more following amongst mm-hmm. physicists, I'm like, great, great. Come on, come on, guys. You, you can do it. You can prove this. Um, because I would like to believe all these mystical images of like a drop of water that dissolves itself in the ocean like the old um, Hindu Vedanta philosophy of okay. the little bit of God inside you that dissolves, the little Atman that dissolves into the Brahman, into the greater God. Um, I would like that to be true, that this kind of the veil be lifted from our eyes and right. then we'll, we'll experience reality as it always was, united and harmonious and true, rather than just, you know, heat death of the universe. Yeah. Um, like... Uh, that's a hard, it's a hard one. Uh-huh. <laughs> can, I, can I ask how how old you are? I'm 44. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 okay, I'm about a decade older. So I'm 55. And I would say, yeah, I, I, I seem to think from the moment I turn 50, not literally not a day goes by that I don't think about dying and the void at least twice a day. A lot of times right before I go to sleep, I'm like, is this the last time I'm going to experience any consciousness? 
it doesn't make me an insomniac. I actually sleep very well, but, but, but you know, one of your last thoughts at night is, is just this depressing thought. It's, yeah, it's, um, I mean, there's, there, I know atheists are like, oh, I don't embrace the void. I don't, death doesn't fear me or whatever. But I'm just like, no, I just, this really, this is the one thing. My life's pretty good. The one thing in my life that really does depress me is, is that, is that thought that, that, that we're, you know, we're just going to be, nothing and and uh yeah and and i mean it's not i'm always been the kind of that you know i would rather know the awful truth than 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 live kind of a harmonious lie so it's just what you you, you live with it you know that's a temperament isn't it and that's the temperament of the skeptic of the rational person of the scientist you would rather know the truth rather than a convenient lie whereas actually lots of people are really quite happy with a convenient lie and in general, I don't know if it's much worse to live that way. Um, it is in certain contexts, I think, when it comes to certain aspects of social justice or politics or <laughs> health planning. But in terms of living your life, a convenient lie might be a good way to go a lot of the time. Um, in terms of being happier, more at peace, um, um, yeah, embrace the void. I haven't met anybody who said that, but it kind of makes me think of the sort of brash 18-year-old who's yeah. like, today is a good day to die. Yeah. You know, um, it's like, no, it's yeah, not. Yeah. It's a shit day to die. Any day is a terrible yeah. day to die. You know, yeah, except the, that the idea of being oneself for infinity sounds like the worst torture invented. I mean, I'd be how tired would you be of yourself after a thousand years? Never mind a million or yeah. <laughs> well, that's like the, the 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 paradox of that where they kind of do studies where you know they ask people like you know do you want to live forever? No, okay. And you know if okay you were say you were like you know imagine you were ninety five years old and then someone said uh, you can die in the next fifteen minutes would you say yes? You go no. <laughs> it, it, it's it's we we most people don't necessarily want to live forever but we but then if we're kind of now told okay your your time limit is you got 15 more minutes is that acceptable doesn't matter what age you are you still want to live beyond 15 minutes my 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 take is there's there's always another star wars movie coming out that you at least want to live to see and so in one tom waits song he sang even jesus just wanted a little bit more time yeah <laughs> Your, uh, your your chapter uh reminded me what why is the language of science so so hard i don't you, you you might not i mean you might not be old enough i'm not talking down to you in terms of age and you might not be american enough but the, there, there was a senator called william proxmire and he was sort of famous in like the, the 80s he had this thing called the golden fleece award and what he would do is it wasn't really him it was just sort of his assistants that would kind of research how the u.s government was spending money and then kind of award this golden fleece to people who he thought were bilking the u.s government and a lot of times he gave it to scientists and he obviously him and his team could not understand the actual article but they would just go this 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 sounds stupid this this experiment like why are we worrying about you know why you know why are we worrying about um you know whether you know uh you know i can't remember some of them but why are we worrying about this thing you know and not not sort of understanding that you you know when you kind of read just the title it sounds a little crazy but when it sort of deep down it's like oh yeah this this really affects like you know uh you know 
farmers their ability to you know increase crop yields and th- things things like that and, and what happened was that he wouldn't pick on the hard sciences like like physicists and stuff because he those articles those journal articles were impenetrable so he was always picking on social scientists because you could at least kind of read them and then the, what social scientists what they started to do in response because nobody wanted to get a golden fleece award because that literally killed your career you could not get you could no longer get funding because you got a golden fleece award and, and so social scientists started like just upping the jargon in their own research <laughs> as a response so so if proxmire came along you'd be like i can't make heads or hail i'm gonna just go to the next one that i can kind of understand and determine you know from reading the title this is stupid yeah 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 so it, it, it had this really weird negative knock-on effect on you know social scientists who are trying to make their work more approachable we're now going the other way to not have their careers ruined that's wonderful i haven't heard that one before <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy i mean well, i'm i'm working on my own book, my COVID project. And that's sort of the one of the, uh, it's called the, uh, the skeptics book of lists. I, I don't know if you remember, remember the, the book of lists from way, way back, but, uh, but it, it's just a book of lists. And so one of the lists are basically like, I forget how many, like five scientific careers ruined by Senator William Proxmire or something like that. And, but yeah, that was sort of one of the f- interesting things that I sort of discovered. It was like, it, it caused social scientists to sort of respond by, upping the jargon in their, in their, in their, in their publications. Yeah. I mean, it's terrible when you become afraid to um, say something for fear that your career might be ruined or you might get canceled in terms of use today's terminology. Um, but when someone like that is out there gunning for you, that's obviously quite a hostile environment. Um, I feel really sorry for the people who work their entire lives for something like um, vaccine development. And then they get targeted, targeted by anti-vax protesters who will dox them, you know, and um, then they start receiving death threats to their family, to their kids. And these are people who are basically just trying to make sure that people don't die of a terrible disease. I mean, (laughs) who could possibly be against that? Well, meet them. They're over here. (laughs) <laughs> and they're waving placards, and they're quite sure of their case. Yeah, you know, I mean, my my own podcast, I, the Conspiracy Skeptic podcast, I, it, it kind of really got its genesis when I was sort of teaching English in Korea. I mean, I kind of started it maybe b- about a year before I left, but but other English teachers, you know, you're on these sort of message boards for other English teachers in Korea, and there are just so many of these conspiracy nuts who were also teachers that it was just such a fertile source of inspiration for like oh okay you've given me an, a topic for this week's conspiracy skeptic podcast and and uh have you sort of found this among the uh the uh, you know like the um you're sort of your the 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 road junkie type people that 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 uh there there seems to just be a higher number of just really people strange ideas and maybe you encounter you know you know working at a bank or something like that yeah because as i was saying at the beginning of the um, interview um people who tend to dedicate their lives to let's say dance and Mm -hmm. music and meditation and travel and maybe um psychedelics and mystic poetry 
they don't tend to educate themselves in the ways of philosophical fallacies and cognitive biases. This stuff is just um, sleeping pills to them. Um, so, of course, they're more vulnerable. And there's a sense that um, people have that their gut feeling is as valuable as anybody else's thought or educative point of view. Um, they just feel that it's wrong. And so, for example, the other day I saw on a debate with a couple of hippie friends, um, and one guy was posting saying, you know, one of the many kind of reasons that he thought the COVID vaccine wouldn't work or was unnecessary. And um, he said, yeah, well, you might say that scientists say that the vaccine works, but I have lots of scientists who say it doesn't, including a Nobel Prize winner. And if you would look on social media and you see two sides of a debate and you might think, oh, so it's a 50-50 split then. Half of them think that COVID is real and the vaccines work and half of them don't. Um, same with climate change. And um, of course, it's just a tiny, tiny percentage of scientists who deny things like um, vaccines or uh, man-made climate change. But um, they're often disproportionately shared. They're um, disproportionately popular. And very often they don't really have much expertise or grounding in the topic they're talking about. And they tend to call themselves doctor very <laughs> prominently. So everybody knows that they're a real scientist wearing a nice white lab coat. But the feeling amongst people I know is that these are the rebels. I actually had one chapter in my book about why we love rebel scientists because it's like, hey, they're the Robin Hood, you know, they're the ones right. who are standing up to the authorities, to the establishment. Yeah. They're telling the hard truths to the powers that be, you know, and they, they try to suppress them. They banned them from YouTube. Right. And um, it's like, yes, they did because they were nutcases, not because they were Robin Hood. <laughs> and um, but if you tell yourself that story, then, of course, yeah. you look for all the data that could support that story once you, you have that point of view. Um well, I mean, uh, okay. yeah. See, I mean, you you are a bit of a storyteller yourself, and I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, stories stories are far more powerful than than a table of data, right? Well, there's a really great story for that, which is um, about the uptake for the vaccine against cervical cancer in Ireland, mm -hmm. and there've been a huge anti-vaxxer campaign that have been really effective, scaremongering amongst <laughs> parents. And they drove down the vaccine acceptancy rate from about 80% down to 50%. Right. And this is disastrous, of course. <laughs> and at this time, all the doctors and scientific authorities were trying to just present facts and more information. And it wasn't working, of course, as we discussed. And then the Irish government hit upon a new strategy of storytelling. Right, okay. And they, in fact, employed one woman who um, had now cervical cancer. And she toured the country making speeches. Uh, one of her taglines was something to the effect of, this vaccine saves lives. It could have saved mine. Right, right. You know, can you think of anything more powerful? Yeah, yeah. And this campaign drove the acceptancy rate back up towards 70% and beyond, I think. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so it works. Storytelling works. But talking down to people, bombarding them with information, making them feel small, this... It's not very effective. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I mean, you know, for my own part, when I kind of engage in sort of debates online, and it probably less so now because it's not, you know, the, the the days of the message boards are kind of gone. It's all like, you know, your your echo chamber of Facebook friends and you know Instagram and stuff like stuff like that. And it's very hard to sort of be a real keyboard warrior just tapping into a phone. But uh, but you know, back back during the message board days, like I I, I enjoyed. I would say I enjoyed talking to these people because like, cause I, I knew I was never going to change their mind, but, but they were really great at teasing out your own assumptions. Like, okay, yeah, the universe is, you know, you know, 14 billion years old. And they're like, no, it's not It's 6,000. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. Yeah. Okay. How do we actually know? Right. How do we know the universe is 14 billion and not 6,000? What is the, how do we know what we know? And, and, and I love debating them because they, they just, you know, they, they so challenged all of your basic assumptions and it really made you run and to figure out, yeah, how do we know what we know? And then, and, you know, to me, that was, that was the, the, the purpose of debating it wasn't to like change their mind it was just to learn something that I just questioned my own self, you know? I mean, I had a really um, embarrassing experience a month ago or so. I went on a Tinder date with somebody and she said that she liked Jim Jarmusch movies and Woody Allen. I thought, okay. And she was into amateur psychology. She said, I was like, oh, sounds good. I met up with her and it turned out she was a Catholic Jordan Peterson loving <laughs> Victor Orban supporter, the current de facto dictator of Hungary. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was like, why are we even breathing the same air? How did this happen that we're in the same space walking in this park together? And uh, we walked and talked for a while. And she said, oh, you probably just read that in The Guardian. Like, <laughs> yeah, I probably did. Uh, <laughs> um, and that's why I think this way. And you think the way you think, because you read it in whichever publication you favor. And really, what's the difference? I base my opinion upon people that I trust and she bases her opinion upon people that she trusts. And um, one of us, at least in certain cases is right or wrong, but who's to say? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes when you sort of, you're debating with people, you have to kind of be like, before I even talk to you, like, like what are you going to accept as, as an authoritative source? And if it's just going to be like, you know, natural news. It's like, okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> How far can you go with that? Right. Yeah. 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 You're not going to, which is like... why when you want to change anybody's mind, um, there's somebody whose name I promised myself, I was going to remember for this talk, but lost now she's quoted on xkcd.com. Um, okay. She's a Christian scientist All right. and she talks to evangelical Christians about their Christian duty to preserve the earth and to do what they can to fight climate change. Mm -hmm. And she approaches it from the point of view of saying, look, this, we are stewards of this glorious creation. And that's exactly the right kind of person who should be talking to them. Right. Um, so that's why I wrote Science for Hippies saying, look, I'm a hippie. <laughs> Therefore, I get to talk to you. Right, and you right, might right. afford me some trust and some leeway just because you can see that right. I've traveled the world, I take drugs, I have long hair. Um, and so I tried to write also chapters that would really lead from values rather than the facts. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I might have a chapter about um, 
are scientists all in the pay of big corporations? Because that's the principal charge put against them. They're all corrupt anyway, so you can't trust it. And so we say, well, what would that mean? What would it look like? There are, depending how you count it, some 10 million practicing scientists in the world today. What happens when you get a diploma? Do they say, congratulations, and now go and talk to that guy over there in a dark suit and sunglasses and sign on the dotted line? And, you know, of course, it's implausible to think that so many people would be all in cahoots. Right. Well, was the year, there was that, um, I forget I forget his name. And yeah, Tom, you're going to experience this when you hit your 50s. You, you just stop remembering everything. But um, uh, a Wake Wakefield, where uh, that Wakefield oh, in the UK, right? right he sort of yeah, touched yeah. off the whole, I mean, he was one of the real genesis of the whole sort of anti, you know, MMR, anti-vax thing. And, um, and it was interesting in that, you know, despite, you know, his paper being, you know, torn apart in terms of, you know, the logic and facts and stuff like that, what shifted the needle in public opinion wasn't that, you know, his paper was just a shitty paper, was when people found out he was just making money from a lawyer who wanted to launch a class action suit. And he kind of had his own vaccine. He was trying to patent to make money, you know? So it it wasn't so much the facts. It was when people learned about, Oh, well, this guy is just a skeevy, you know, he's even more skeevy. So, uh, you know, I'm going to discount him now. It's just this weird. It's like, you know, I always sort of, I think, I think Penn Gillette's line was um, the difference between a skeptic and a cynic, you know, uh, as a skeptic, I will question th- the evidence you use to form your belief, whereas a cynic will question y- th- y- the motivations for your belief. And uh-huh. but but sometimes just, you know, you know the moving the needle is just like really you know the, the person's motivations are, and this is probably why the other side uses it so much. It's it's very powerful to them, you know that that. That you know that um, you know yeah, yeah you're just trying to you're just trying to line your pockets with money so therefore I will discount everything you're saying. That was actually in this um, Tim Harford article, the undercover economist, um, on something like why facts don't change minds, and he said the two ways that you can change someone's right. mind, or they can change their own mind, is a through curiosity if I genuinely want to know. So I know with Science for Hippies, I'm not going to change the mind of any conspiracy theorist. There's no chance whatsoever, really. One in 10,000, maybe. Um, But there's a lot of people who are just curious, who've heard (laughs) stuff that sort of seems to be right to them, but they don't know yet. They haven't emotionally invested in a point of view yet. And they still have to go, oh, now I get it, if they would (laughs) read it laid out. But the second way that people can change their minds is if they feel like they have been duped, cheated, right. um, misled. And that goes, oh, what? I've been scammed? Okay, that's it. And they can flip overnight from believing that the Pope is God's representative on earth to being, <laughs> you know, just some strange guy in a dress. Um, so, yeah. Uh, All right. Uh, just a few little things I just want to kind of know is, uh, all right. So you are, uh, uh, so this book, your, your, your book, science for hippies. Okay. Uh, you can get it on, uh, uh, it's available on Amazon. It's as uh, it Kindle is. Kindle. It's also on the Kindle. Yeah. Okay. Can you get it like, as like a print on demand or. 
is put on demand exactly yeah oh okay very cool uh, okay Okay, a self-published work that uh, I did at least run it by you know several scientist friends to make sure oh, that that's good. Um, okay. I wasn't uh, making it all up. All right, yeah. And uh, how, uh, did you edit it yourself? Not that I found any typos or anything, but but you know, I mean, writing my own book, it's like okay, I'm I'm just literally almost finishing up now, and and now I'm like Jesus, now I got to edit this thing. <laughs> what, what was your what was your approach to editing? Well, I have experience of writing like five or six books already, so I know the process quite well. But I did, of course, send it to a bunch of people for feedback and okay. uh, criticism. And um, and luckily, they had some. I mean, it's terrible when someone gives you the book there back and goes, yeah, it was great. You're like, well, well that's, that's a little helpful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, what, what, was the, what was the hardest bit of criticism to sort of uh, deal with? Jeez. Um, uh, I think whenever somebody debated the veracity of what I'd said okay. and I had to try and defend it, but I didn't know if I was on shaky ground or not. Right. Okay. Um, that was like the most demanding part. Right, and okay. um, there were several times I realized I was just flat wrong about something, um, but that's fine. I mean, being happy about being wrong, I think is really the first step to wisdom on the path to wisdom. Um, it's when you're quite sure about everything that you're going to be a fool. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a great, that's a great way to, to think about it. All right. And so you're, you're in, you're in Prague. Are you, are you, are you planning to go someplace else or are you going to be sticking out in Prague for a while? Uh, I think I'm sticking here at least for maybe like another year and then we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, okay. I'm organizing events here, like these right, hippie okay. festivals that I run. Um, and so I'm just kind of working on those. And this doesn't really feel like um, time to really travel the right, world okay. right, yeah. <laughs> with the pandemic. Um, but um, for now, I mean, I've been traveling for so long and I've lived mm. in so many countries around the world, you know, Brazil and Colombia, Israel, Jeez. Japan, um, India, all over Europe. Um and uh, it's quite nice to be still for once. Wow. Well, okay. Well, all right. Yeah. And um, I was going to say, uh, I guess I got nothing else to say. So <laughs> it's been it's been great, Tom. I, I you know, I, yeah. I, uh, I I I wouldn't say I'm a traveler as much as you, but I mean, I've definitely you know, I, you know, I sometimes I you know I've, I've sort of followed where the where the work is. So, you know, I mean, I was lived in Seattle and then Korea and then. You know, you know, met my wife, and now I'm here in a, a suburb of a suburb of Toronto, and and, and enjoying everything. But, uh, but, 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 yeah. I mean, it is, um, it, it, it is the one thing I found about living abroad is we all have the same mythology about our own selves, like our own culture. You know, it's it's like it's like this is why we are a good and moral people. And then the things, you know, you marshal to sort of like explain why you are a good and moral people and unique uh, uh, on the world stage. It's the exact same thing every culture you know, uses. Have you, have you kind of found this at the, 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 the common mythologies? Common mythologies in what sense? Well, just the idea that, that, you know, that, 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 you know, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, Czech culture is no more superior than Canadian culture. Right. But, but I think, 
Czechs and Canadians both probably think like, you know, yeah, we, you know, on, you know, on the world stage, we're probably, you know, in the top 10% of the, you know, moral, superior, industrious, you know, you know, th- those kinds of things. And, 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 and then the way you, the, the, you know, the rationale you use to sort of, you know, uh, support the idea your own culture is, is inherently better. It's just kind of the same, it's the same, it's the same parcel of arguments across cultures. Uh, this is what I found at least. I was talking to a philosophy professor once and uh, he said, look, every culture that's ever existed, has ever existed, um, thought it was the pinnacle of all <laughs> human achievement. And he says, what a coincidence it would be if we were that pinnacle of all human achievement and knowledge, you know, um, and of course it's like, I forget the name of the cognitive bias, but we tend to think something is more important just because we happen to be there. Right. Um, we attach more importance for it the same way that we all think we have a great sense of humor, a great sense of taste that we're all essentially quite smart. Right. Yeah. We all think that we're, we're actually quite important, you know, and if aliens are going to land, you know, my back garden is, is a fair candidate for a landing site. Uh, yeah. <laughs> great okay all right and and your 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 road junkies did you want to give the url for your 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 road junkies because that's actually kind of a fascinating read it, it, it itself oh to be honest uh roadjunkie.com is kind of uh abandoned like i, oh, I got okay. writing about travel about 10 years ago or so oh okay um, okay but it was where i started in my online presence yes, okay and um okay um uh, these days, yeah, I tend to skip from project to project, um, but um, so mostly focused on my events, um, the retreats in the Sahara Desert in Morocco that I do each winter, and uh, trying to do things in the in the real world as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you become lost in the the online world. All right, well, th- thanks so much, Tom. This is this is, it was really interesting, and and yeah, science for hippies. Go go out and find it and and buy it for your. Uh, uh, you, you don't have to be sort of an old guy in sandals and uh, listening to the Grateful Dead to really enjoy this book. It's something I think it's something <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, have a, have a good have a good night there, sir. Thank you, Carl. All right, bye bye. <laughs>